And now, Thriller Thursdays on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 28 The enemy of my enemy is my friend. It isn't always a perfect concept, and at the very least, it is a great deal more complicated than it seems, most of the time. If there was an obvious exception, it seemed to be when a rising horde of the undead was involved. From behind the statue under what she had taken cover, the flying squirrel had a front-row seat. Bone-thin arms tightly wrapped in ancient linens creaked as they fought their way out of the golden sarcophagi that had been their prisons for thousands of years. They were relentless, and the stones rang with a ringing of precious metals striking the floor as they were cast aside, and short-bladed swords of bronze were raised. These were warriors, given a king's burial in exchange for their eternal vigilance over the eye of Anubis. And if they served the pharaoh who had entombed them, rather than the god or the eye itself— their mission would be to destroy any who tried to return the Eye of Anubis to the surface world. Kit Baxter was brave by nature, and by training had developed these instincts into something like fearlessness. But she was anything but stupid, and when the first mummy to stand free of his golden casket looked directly at her and emitted a sort of hissing groan, she broke cover and made tracks. No shots rang out as she sprinted across the floor— the small assembly of well-dressed men and fezes who had been their chief enemies until moments ago were backing up the steps of the dais, desperately scanning the walls for some break in the ranks, some means of escape, and finding nothing. The red panda began running toward her, which she took to mean that there was something immediately behind her which she could not handle alone, and she dug a little deeper and moved a little faster. They practically collided moments later, and she turned at once to see that the solid line of undead warriors was still some distance away, marching evenly like an army. "'Hi,' she said. "'Yes,' he replied. "'I, I thought something was chasing me,' <laughs> she said a little winded. "'Yes, well, there are these mummies,' he offered. "'If they broke into a run behind you, I didn't want to be all the way over there.' This made sense to the flying squirrel. Were their roles reversed, she would have done the same thing without a thought." This she found good, and the sparkle in her eye said so, though she did not speak. They turned and ran back together toward the only thing that felt at all like cover, the statue of Anubis, where Falcone and Pavli were arguing. "'Don't you see, stranger?' Pavli's voice rang out in something like exultation. "'The dead arrive, ready to serve me, their new master. Isn't it astonishing?' "'You're a fool, Aris,' Falcone warned. "'This is the final trap of the pyramid, "'set thousands of years ago, when these warriors yet lived. "'A reaction to the use of the power of the eye. "'You can't control these monsters.' "'Look at them, Falcone,' Polly said, his voice barely a whisper. "'No wonder they will pay a king's ransom for this.' "'What the heck are they waiting for?' the flying squirrel said breathlessly from the steps. The mummified warriors ringed the inner chamber now, three men deep, weapons at the ready, and made no motion. "'The eye of Anubis is an amplifier!' Falcone cried desperately. "'It takes what it is given. If it has the will of a mighty king behind it, it can command the dead. Build a 
astounding structures, bury them under mountains, do anything. This army awoke when the eye sprang back to life. But it is the imprinted will of a long-dead pharaoh you see, not the inherent power of the relic. They will not let you take the eye from this place. The Eye of Anubis is mine, Pavli shouted, holding the great jewel aloft to command the fealty of the mighty army of the dead. Instead, the warriors crouched low, as if preparing to charge, and began to emit the same low hissing groan that had sent Kip Baxter running moments ago, except that it was now hundreds of times louder and there was nowhere left to run. The eye takes what it is given, Falcone said sadly, and your energy still reeks of betrayal and murder. The eye has betrayed you, Pavli, and you have murdered us all. And at that the mummified warriors broke into a run. Pavli's guards began to shriek in terror and peppered the advancing line with gunfire, which did not seem to have much effect. The bullets collided with mummified flesh and produced small clouds of dust, but they did little to slow the undead soldiers, and none of them seemed to be stopping. "'I wish I had my sword,' the red panda said, as casually as he could manage. "'Take one of theirs,' the flying squirrel offered, holding up a throwing star made of anti-magic alloy. "'Think these'll do anything?' she asked. "'No,' he said glumly. She shrugged and threw it into the advancing line, now less than twenty feet away. It passed through one of the horde and buried itself deep into the one behind him. Both of them fell and did not get up. I mean, yes, the red panda corrected, diving down the stairs and racing forward with the intention of grabbing the swords of the fallen. There was very little holding these monsters up. If he could take them out at the legs, it might not destroy them, but it would certainly help to slow them down. The pungent smell of tomb-dust and long-dead flesh grew as he closed in. He heard a whistling sound whiz past each of his ears, and the front lines began to crumble before him as a flying squirrel peppered them with missiles. The red panda rolled at the bottom of the stairs and came up with a kopesh, an ancient Egyptian sword with a curved blade. He had trained with one of these long ago. It cut like a saber but handled like a lightweight axe, and the young August Fenwick had not been fond of it. Now that he was older, wiser, and surrounded by the resurrected dead, he thought it was just dandy, and picked up a second blade for his left hand as he parried the first of many blows with his right. He bound over his attacker's blade with his sword, holding it against the ground as he brought the weapon in his left hand up through the legs of his undead foe. The creature fell to the ground and hissed, but did not have the sense to die again. The red panda pinned the sword the beast still gripped down hard with his right hand and brought the blade in his left down on the mummy's head, cleaving it in two with a cloud of dust. This was even less effective, as the beast seemed entirely unaffected by the loss and continued to struggle to free his blade. "'Legs it is, then,' the red panda said to no one in particular, as he turned his motion into a rapid rotation of his footing and the blades he held on either side. Like a whirling dervish, he cut through the thick crowd of attackers, leaving behind a battlefield littered with legless things that still flailed with their weapons. They were slower than living fighters, but they fought without fear, and no sooner had he cleared away one creature than two more leapt from the shadows to take its place. For a time he held his own as the sounds of gunfire began to fade, replaced by bone-chilling screams as Pavli's men were set upon by the horrors from beyond the grave. 
The rending and tearing sounds that followed the screams did not seem to abate when the screaming finally stopped, and though he could not pause to look, it suggested to the man in the mask that these mummies did not know enough to stop killing them when they were already dead. That did not bode well, but at least it seemed to be keeping some of them busy. The Red Panda heard several blasts for which no origin seemed clear to him, and he knew that the stranger must also be in the fray. The air hung thick with the smell of ancient corpses burning until there was not enough left of them to continue the fight. It explained why they had not yet been overwhelmed by the foes enveloping the altar of Anubis from the other side of the room, but it was clearly too good to last. The red panda gasped in a lungful of the fetid, smoke-filled air. Was Max strong enough to keep this up for long? For that matter, was he? He swung his blade again and hoped so. More than once he would have been cut off from potential retreat were it not for a steady stream of attacks from the flying squirrel. These seemed to be growing less and less frequent, though, and if there were any sign that the howling mob of monsters from beyond the grave was running out of conscripts, he certainly couldn't see it. Indeed, they seemed to be getting stronger and faster as they fought. This had to end soon, or it was not to end well. An undead soldier howled as he sprang forward at the masked man, his blade raised high above his head. The red panda was off balance, and did not know if he could respond in time, not without throwing himself backwards blindly and leaving himself wide open to the next attack. The mummy was so close already that the red panda felt certain he could see the rage and murderous intent in the dead man's empty eye sockets. And just as suddenly as a threat had appeared, a crimson combat boomerang crashed into the mummy's head, shattering the skull and dropping the creature to the ground, lifeless once again. Boss! The squirrel's voice rang out over the din. That's my last boomerang, and I've thrown it three times already. The law of large numbers says sooner or later, it ain't coming back. I understand, he called grimly. No, you don't, she protested. Get your fanny over here! He threw himself backwards twice, head over heels, to gain some space, brought his fist across the skull of the only mummy between himself and the stairs, and took the steps at a sprint. For the first time since the battle had begun, he saw what she was seeing. The main force of the horde of undead creatures were at the front of the dais, pressing in toward Pavli desperately, held back only by the force of Maxwell Falcone's attacks. A few would scatter with each blast the wizard threw, one or two would fail to rise, but the end seemed inevitable, and soon. "'Obey me!' Pavli shrieked desperately, waving the eye of Anubis as if it weren't the thing that was bringing the monsters down on his head. "'Obey me!' "'Boss!' Kit's voice rang out. "'Up here!' She was halfway up the statue, crouched against the enormous torso of Anubis, and she clutched her last boomerang as though it were made of gold. He activated his static shoes and ran off the surface toward her. "'What's the plan?' he called as he climbed. "'Plan?' she cried in disbelief. "'When would I have thought of a plan? How about don't die? That's my plan!' "'Max!' the red panda yelled to be heard over the hysterical Pavli. "'What have you got left?' "'Almost nothing, old boy!' the sorcerer called. "'One good blast. Maybe two. "'The eye is an amplifier!' The red panda cried, It takes what it is given! The horde of hissing monsters was reassembling itself for another charge. There was nothing else left. 
I think you had both better get down here, the stranger ordered. As near to me as you can. The heroes dropped and drew in close beside Falcone, as the enchanter muttered softly under his breath, his hands moving in a rapid, complex sequence. Obey me, Pavli implored one last time. I'm sorry, Aris, the stranger said softly, as he unleashed a blinding stream of pure energy into the very heart of the jewel which his rival held aloft. The mummies froze, but seemed to howl in unison a terrifying song of cold death that rose high in the chamber and seemed to make the walls quake. The timing of this will be a bit tricky, the stranger said, as the world seemed to explode all around them into a blaze of black fire. The flying squirrel squeaked in spite of herself before she realized that there was something holding the savage fury of the blast from them. A glowing golden dome that surrounded the three heroes, held together by the pure force of the stranger's will. An instant later, it was over. Aris Pavli and the undead horde that desperately wished to fulfill their dying pledge by destroying him were reduced to atoms by the force of the blast. Walls had shattered. Enormous god-shaped pillars were crumbling into dust. And suddenly, a mighty quake seemed to seize the ancient chamber and hurl the treasures it contained about the room. Okay, Kit cried. This is actually a little bit worse. I don't know if we can make that door, Falcone cried. The red panda threw his gaze up to the darkened ceiling of the great hall. He knew what he was desperate to see, and to his elation, it was there, far larger and clearer than before. The beam of light that shone down into Anubis's hand, the single ray of sunlight in this terrible place. Look up, he shouted, as more great stones fell from above, making the beam of light wider and more brilliant still. That's our doorway. I got it, she called firing her grapple gun blindly into the darkness, hoping it took hold. Hold on tight, Max, the red panda ordered, as he seized his mentor with his left arm and fired his own grapple gun with his right. We won't get a second shot at this. An instant later, there was a roar like thunder, a mighty fall of stone and earth, and the great hall of Anubis passed from this world into history and legend. So, do you like comedy? If you do, then Friday Follies might be just the feed for you. From the Mutual Audio Network, every Friday we bring you a selection of hilarious audio drama. And you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Just search for Friday Follies, or you could subscribe to the main Mutual Audio Network feed. It's up to you. Find us there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>